The race for Speaker of the House is alive and well. It looks as though Steve Scalise may not be the guy. According to some reports, he is expected to drop out of this race, possibly setting the stage for Jim Jordan. We're going to talk about that. Plus, here we are as the violence continues there overseas in the Middle East. And it's unbelievably tragic. I mean, some of the things I've seen, you've probably seen as well, how how massacred the Israelis were. Well, we are now learning new information that it seems, and it makes all the sense in the world, that Hamas was trained by ISIS. So, yes, these are terrorists. These are terrorists. And yet you've got the likes of Rashida Tlaib, the kids at Harvard, and plenty of others out there. Bernie Sanders even somehow, in some way, trying to justify this. How is that even possible, you ask? We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. We have to get into that. Meanwhile, we've learned that uh, Bob Menendez, the senator from New Jersey, is now being charged with being a foreign agent. Apparently, he was a foreign agent for Egypt, which leads me to say, how many spies are among us? Don't forget, Mr. John Kerry, right? Remember John Kerry in violation of the Logan Act? Because there he was admitting to meetings with Iranian officials We now know, it's very clear, that Iran had a whole lot to do with what just transpired, the horror in Israel. And what did we do? We gave them $6 billion. It's absolutely, positively unbelievable. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Trish Regan. Portions of the show are brought to you by LegacyPMInvestments.com. We'll have to talk about inflation Still up better than 2% according to those wholesale prices. Look, it's not good. We got a problem in this economy, and it's very hard to break this, especially when we continue to run up debt and deficits such as we do, $33 trillion and counting. Actually, the outstanding overall liabilities, more like more like $200 trillion. So think about that for a second. Anyway, we'll talk a little bit more about the economy as we move through the show. But I really actually just want to get to this. I want to get to this issue of the six billion dollars. I I can't get over this issue of the six billion dollars. Well, Antony Blinken finally made it over to Israel. He's doing the rounds there. He sat down with NBC's Lester Holtz and he said what he said the other day, which is that the money's still there. Watch. Is that what you have technically done now by stopping distribution from that account? Uh, As I said, there has been no distribution of the accounts. It wasn't a question of stopping it. There hasn't been any. Um, and we retain the right to formally freeze it. Okay. Okay. You retain the right to formally freeze it. We just heard you. So why the heck haven't you? I mean, this, this is unbelievable to me. Freeze it, for God's sakes. Do not give Iran another penny. It is very clear. Any moron could tell you exactly what went down here. But I'll fill you in just so that we can all be up to speed. There was this thing called the Abraham Accord, right? Started by Jared Kushner, the son-in-law, who's Jewish, of Donald Trump, married to Ivanka Trump. It was very successful because, you see, what the Abraham, Abraham Accord was trying to do was bring peace to the Middle East. Imagine that, peace. Well, some people don't want peace, you see, because they profit off of chaos and terrorism and turmoil. And Iran didn't really like where they were getting situated in all this because, you see, the Saudis were coming out way ahead as they saw it. The Saudis 
the Israelis, they were forming an alliance. Imagine that. I mean, pretty incredible stuff, actually. And then you had Jordan and Egypt, everybody kind of buying into this. Everybody you see except Iran. And so what did Iran do? Seems to me they went to the Palestinians, whom they knew they could go to, do not forget, Hezbollah and Hamas have been supported by Iran for years now. And so Iran goes to the Palestinians and concocts this plan that that no one detected, which is really, really disturbing, neither in the U.S. nor in Israel. And they concoct this plan over the last couple of weeks, and they execute it, and it is far more sophisticated than anything we've seen in the past. Well, we learned today that there was an ISIS flag found with some of these terrorists, Hamas terrorists. And I guess that tells you everything you need to know. Iran tapping ISIS to train Hamas terrorists. When you look at the brutality of everything that happened, when you consider how they gunned down teenagers there at a concert, when you consider the rape of women whom they then paraded through the streets with their crotches filled with blood as people laughed and jeered and talked about how great God was. When you hear about the Israeli soldier that they dragged through the street, when you hear about the decapitations, and when you hear about those 40s, 40 babies whose, whose heads were decapitated, I mean, these people are animals, okay? They're animals, trained by animals. And Israel's doing what it has to do. I mean, I, I, I've been so upset. So upset ever since this all started unfolding because you think, how can humanity be so awful? I, I just want to mention, I am very proud now to, to, I wanted to do something, right? I know you guys want to do something too. So I wanted to, to mention this to you, this organization that I've partnered with, which is the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. And they have an emergency fund right now that you can contribute to. It's going directly, all of the money directly to the victims there in Israel. Again, it's the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. I want to give you their phone number. I will also put the link. You know what? I'm going to put the link. This is a live show, so I'm, I'm in the chat with you all right now. So I am going to put the link here, okay? This is the link. Go there. I simplified it. I went over to Bitly and got like a short little link for you all. But But this is the link here. If you just... Anything you can do, you know, every single dime matters at a moment like this. The International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, they have an emergency fund. They are going direct to the, the most hard-hit areas of Israel right now. And and look, these people need it. They need our support. They really do. And so, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't solve anything, but I think we can all feel a little bit better thinking that, you know, we're trying to do our part and we, we are doing our part. I mean, I consider part of my part just being here with you and bringing the information to you. What I don't understand is why our government, why our secretary of state has not frozen the darn money. I mean, unbelievable. Listen, it is not our tactic never has been our tactic to pay for hostages in the first place, right? So we did this, the swap a which was great. I'm glad that the people came back, okay? I was glad that we got some hostages. But then I'm like, wait, $6 billion? 
Six billion? Well, they want you to know, you see, that actually that was Iran's money all along. That's what Tony Blinken kept telling us doing the weekend circuit. He said, no, 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 this was their money. It was their money all along. And we were just holding it. Well, you know, listen, I'm sorry, guys. That's what sanctions are about. If you're going to sanction Iran, yeah, you hold the money. I mean, if the IRS goes after an American citizen because they didn't pay their taxes, uh, they they should be doing that, right, with Hunter Biden. (laughs) We'll we'll talk about that a little later or perhaps another day. Uh, Well, if the IRS goes after them, then guess what? They're going to freeze Hunter Biden's bank accounts, theoretically, right, to get the $2 million back. But but why are we doing that with, with Iran? I mean, come on. This is Tony Blinken. I've played it before, but you got to hear it again and keep it in context with what he's saying now. Does dealing with Hamas mean dealing with Iran? Was Iran behind this? So there's a long relationship between uh, Iran and, and Hamas. In fact, Hamas wouldn't be Hamas without the support that it's gotten over many years from Iran. We haven't yet seen direct evidence that Iran was behind this particular attack or involved, but the, the support over many years is clear. It's one of the reasons that over the last couple of years, we have been resolutely working against Iran's support for terrorism, uh, for destabilizing actions in other countries. We've sanctioned more than 400 Iranian individuals and entities precisely uh, for the kind of support that they've offered uh, Hamas in the past. And it's something that we remain extremely vigilant about. As you know, many in the GOP are laying blame on the Biden administration in the wake of that recent deal to unfreeze Iranian assets that were unfrozen for humanitarian purposes in return for the release of those American hostages. Here's what Steve Scalise, one of the candidates for speaker, put out yesterday. The Biden administration must be held accountable for its appeasement of these Hamas terrorists, including handing over billions of dollars to them and their Iranian backers. Your response? Well, look, I'm not going to comment on, on specific uh, comments by individuals. I can, I can say this. It's unfortunate that some are, um, in effect, uh, uh, saying things that may be motivated by politics at a time when so many lives have been lost and Israel remains under attack. And the facts are these uh, and uh, should be well known. Uh, this involved Iranian resources, not American taxpayer dollars. These were resources that uh, Iran had acquired from the sale of its oil that were stuck in a bank. Uh, in this case in in South Korea, they have always been entitled to use those funds under our law and under our sanctions for humanitarian purposes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the funds were moved from one bank to another to facilitate that. Uh, By the way, not a single dollar from that account has actually been spent uh, to date. And in any event, it's very carefully and closely regulated by the Treasury Department to make sure that it's only used for food, for medicine. Okay, 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 okay. So go ahead and freeze it, mister. All right. Just freeze the money, and then they won't get a single penny. You made them a better credit risk, like overnight, giving them the $6 billion. Cutter apparently says that they would work with the U.S. to freeze it. So I'm like, well, what are we waiting for? Do it! Unless Iran is threatening something else. I mean, we got word today, this is an NBC report, American officials are investigating whether some of the Hamas militants who carried out the unprecedented attack on Israel received advanced training from Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. (laughs) They're also examining whether Hamas used recent Palestinian protests across the Gaza border fence as cover to place explosives that were later used to breach the Israeli barrier. The advanced training and placement of explosives, if confirmed, would be the latest example of the decades of support Iran has provided to Hamas. 
All right, like this has been going on forever. And according to the Wall Street Journal, it was Iran that gave the green light for the attack. Now, according to NBC, apparently Iran was involved in the training of these Hamas terrorists. And according to the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, it seems as ISIS was too. Makes sense, right? Given the horror. Given the horror. Now, this is all coming, as I said, amid this backdrop of getting a new Speaker of the House. We're still sitting here waiting, twiddling our thumbs. Look, they got to get to 700, 217 votes. And so it doesn't look like Scalise is going to be able to get there. So who's next in line? You know, I've said all along, like Jim Jordan had me on the fact that he was an economics major in college, because apparently nobody is in Congress. It's really rather remarkable. You get a lot of lawyers but not a lot of business people, not a lot of people with an economics background. I actually think you really, really need the business and economics. You know why? Because people in business, people that understand the economy, they understand this is not a zero-sum game. Um, Unlike the Palestinians and, uh, well, the kids at Harvard, and we'll talk a little bit more about the BLM movement and Rashida Tlaib and this kind of nonsense where you're always the victim and there's always an oppressor. Somebody who's going to be the Speaker of the House needs to be, one, a real leader, Two, understand our economy. Three, understand our vulnerabilities right now because we're dealing with a whole lot of them. Let's be very frank, right, including the border. Finally, New York City is realizing, ooh, that border kind of is a problem, right, because we don't have the money to pay for all these people. And Chicago is realizing that borders are problems are very liberal places, kind of waking up just like Martha's Vineyard once woke up too, right? So whoever becomes the Speaker of the House has to be able to take a lot of these things on, has to be able to lead, and that's a challenging thing to do, especially when you have so many people in so many different directions. Some of the other names out there have been uh, Tom Emmer, as well as Kevin Hearn, Kevin Hearn out of Oklahoma. But of course, Jim Jordan might be the front runner. And, you know, we talk about Donald Trump as well. Would Donald Trump take that on? As I have said, he's very clearly set on trying to get back into the Oval Office. But maybe he would try it, maybe for 100 days, as Steve Bannon has suggested, just with the idea that he's going to come in, swoop in, try and get everybody on the same page together. He certainly, I think, would happily take a, a red pen to that the, the, all the money that's being spent and really question whether we uh, need to be spending all that money in all those different places. So the speakership, that's up for grabs. What we want to make sure of, of course, obviously, is that uh, it's not, not going to go to... Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, right? (laughs) The Democrat. I I don't think we actually have to worry about that. But I do think that they've got to come to some kind of consensus. Donald Trump was supposed to be there this week, but, you know, we're knocking on Friday tomorrow. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. He was going to make a speech. Just a lot of things going on, right? A lot of moving parts, given everything that's been happening there in Israel. And given that, you know, we just haven't been able to see any kind of real consensus there among the Republican Party. So this one is going to continue to plague us. But I want to go back to just exactly why it is we are doing things like giving $6 billion to Iran. Why haven't we frozen it yet? There he is on the ground. He's seen the atrocities. Blinken himself has said how horrible this is, how upset he is, the pictures he has seen, the children that have been murdered. And yet, We're still not taking back that money. We're still not freezing that account. It's amazing to me. I know they look like fools. Total, absolute fools. They have egg all over their face there in the Biden administration. Much like, you know, McCain actually predicted they would. 
if you go back, I've played this for you guys before, to when Tony Blinken was actually trying to be the undersecretary, right, the deputy at state, and McCain got up there on Capitol Hill and he said, I I don't normally do this because I believe that elections should have consequences. I have to vote no against this guy because I actually think he's dangerous for America. He's dangerous for American lives. He doesn't really know what he's doing. And when you look at the succession of events, I'll tell you, I don't think he knows what he's doing. And I think that Joe Biden is perceived as a very weak figure on the international stage. Literally weak. I mean, in every way, shape and form. I mean, he he can barely walk. He's in physical therapy right now because they want to make sure that he doesn't keep falling every time he goes on stage. So when you have a weak president and you have a secretary of state that really doesn't seem to know his way around the mulberry bush, then you wind up in situations such as what we're in now. I mean, just think of the giant FU that that was, right, for Iran to get the $6 billion. And then they're like, ha-ha, they greenlit this attack? I mean, it's disgusting. It's absolutely positively disgusting, but speaks volumes about how the world is seeing us. And I think that should be of real, real concern. Meanwhile, now we're in a situation where despite all the horror, despite the the people that over a thousand dead now that were killed in Israel, Israel is going to run the risk that the MSNBCs of the world are going to try and paint Israel as the bad guy. As Israel as being responsible for this. I think there's a lot of similarity there to, well, and, and I, again, I, I caution, I'm, I'm, I want to be careful how I say this because this could be easily misinterpreted. What's happening in Israel is inexcusable. It is violent. It is awful. It'll, it, it'll turn your stomach. And if you think about it too much, it'll make you cry. I certainly have myself over the last few days. But when you think about the willingness of some, including some American politicians, including this care organization, that actually the Biden administration had tried to enlist at one point to try and temper some anti-Semitism that they saw here in the U.S. Care is an organization that's, that's all about the Palestinian movement. Not exactly the organization you want to sort of temper any anti-Semitism. But my concern here is when you see the willingness of kids at Harvard and kids at UPenn and kids at Columbia and lawmakers like Tlaib, like Ilhan Omar Tlaib, still flying the Palestinian flag outside her office, when you see their willingness to stand up and say, oh, that's okay, or I stand with the Palestinian people, or this is complicated and we need to stand for the Palestinian people, that's when I start to say, wait a second, these are the same people, right, that were all about Black Lives Matter. They were all about saying somehow that the protests were okay, I mean, we actually heard people tell us that looting was okay. And, you know, torching a police station, all okay because you're bringing attention to your cause. Well, at what point does it go from one to the other? I realize, okay, like, don't get me wrong. I realize that's a huge gap. And I don't want to suggest anything that is not sensitive to that gap. But somehow it's a kind of tribalism that's dividing people. And when you say we are going to look at you as though you are different because of the color of your skin, because you're white, you are oppressing us, because you are Jewish, you are oppressing us, 
And therefore, we have a right to fight back however we want, including terrorist means, as they're doing there with Hamas to Israel. Then that's a really dangerous position for us to be in. And I don't think we've thought about it quite like this before. But they're sort of saying that, you know, the means are justifying the ends. When you see these Palestinian supporters in Times Square cheering on what has happened again, the the young people killed, the women raped, the babies murdered, old people burned in their homes. And you want to tell me that you're going to sit there and, and applaud Hamas? A terror organization for that, and that's okay? Watch. From the river to the sea. From the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Palestine will be free. From the river to the sea. From the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. Palestine will be free. I mean, even AOC couldn't come out and condone that. Even AOC had to say that was disgusting. Of course, now today she's very worried about the Palestinians, etc. Look, we knew this was going to happen, okay? One of you, I can see in the live chat, one of you is asking who is, who is funding this? Who is funding all of this? And, uh, you know, it, it's a great question. It gets me back to, you know, the spies among us as we learn that Robert Menendez is possibly a a foreign agent for Egypt. That's what he's now being charged with. Or that Kerry was continuing conversations with the Iranians. Or, as Tablet Magazine reported the other day, the special envoy to Iran for both Barack Obama and then for Joe Biden actually seemed to be quite, quite cozy with Zarif and may have been taking orders from Iran. I mean, this is frightening, frightening stuff. Those are all allegations, I want to point out. They did actually fire him sort of mysteriously in late June, and I think that we deserve to get some more information on all of that. But this is a a very perplexing thing to think that anybody, not perplexing, I mean, I just want to say, frankly, disgusting, that anybody would be supporting this. And I love that they're getting called out. I just love it, love it, love it. So here's these kids at Harvard, right? Like Harvard's supposed to be such a great school, blah, blah, blah. Joint statement by Harvard Palestinian Solidarity Groups on the situation in Palestine. We, the undersigned student organizations, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for all the unfolding violence. You schmucks. You jerks. And thank goodness... Thank goodness there are some people that are coming to their senses and saying, you know what? Those Harvard kids, we're not going to hire them. (laughs) You've got Bill Ackman and also the guy who's the CEO of Apollo, which is a massive, massive hedge fund. Bill Ackman has a huge hedge fund, too. We're talking people with very, very deep pockets, right? So Mark Rowan over at Apollo, he went to UPenn. He's a big donor to UPenn. He's furious, and he's calling for the head of the trustees, who's an investment banker over at Green Hill, Scott Block, he's saying, you know, you, you're out of there. You got to go. And, and he's demanding that the University of Pennsylvania come down hard on these students. We did see Claudine Gay over at Harvard have kind of a mealy mouth statement. I, I think she's terrified of the students. She's brand new over there. She's brand new to Harvard, and she's really scared. It's the first black woman 
president of Harvard University. Well, I credit Larry Summers because Larry Summers, the former president of Harvard University, is like, whoa, I've never felt so distant, right? So disenfranchised from Harvard, an institution I've been affiliated with for 50 years as I do now. I look at the kids of Columbia, my own alma mater, and I say, what is going on? Like, why are they all about this? Why? Oh, because it's always the underdog. It's always about somebody getting oppressed. It's always about the victim because the victim somehow can't do anything to help themselves, despite the fact that we gave nearly $300 million to Palestine this year. That's the Biden administration. Trump wouldn't give them a dime. Well, we did that, and where did that money go? Does it go to actually help kids and and get them a better education? Does it go to building infrastructure? Does it go to helping ensure that you can have a vibrant, successful economy? Nope, nope. A lot of that money, sadly, goes to, and and they'll tell you, oh, it doesn't directly go. It's supposed to go to food and this, that, and the other. Again, money's fungible. I hate to break it to you, Blinken and Biden, but money is fungible. And so, sure, you know, you can say it's going for this, but then it goes for something else entirely. And so all this money that we've been giving to Palestine, it's not going to make Palestine a better place. No, because there's no interest in a two-state solution, not when you can feed a narrative of victimhood. When you can keep telling people that you're not going to ever be successful because it's the Jews in Israel that are holding you back. Or, you know what, you're growing up black in America, forget about it. You're never going to have a chance at anything unless we hand you something because you're black and there are white people that are oppressing you and keeping you down. I mean, this is, this is the mantra that we're getting. And by the way, where did it come from? Ivy League institutions. This is where all this CRT started. So the whole Black Lives Matter movement really effectively came from these organizations, organizations that then proudly stood up in defense of BLM. And you saw every major corporation do exactly the same thing, trans as well, right? We got to stand for the trans community over and over and over again. And yet when people are slaughtered, minorities, You know, you think back to the Holocaust and the six million Jews that were slaughtered then, and and you look at what happened this weekend, and you mean to tell me that these pompous, elitist idiots at Harvard and Columbia and these UPenn and everywhere else, they can't stand up for the so-called minorities that they're all about? No, I guess not, because those minorities have a different color skin. You see how frightening this is, guys? Very frightening. And now Israel is being put a little bit on defense in terms of the whole PR machine because MSNBC is just going to want to nail them over and over and over again for saying how inhumane they are. Basically, I guess, to try and prove that Rashida Tlaib is right. I want to share some sound with you. There was a, a congressman a Republican congressman that went on MSNBC and basically had to school the host there who was trying to suggest that, you know, well, you know, in her own little, little way, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it, it's really the Palestinians that we should be thinking about. So here is a Congressman Kirby out of Georgia talking on MSNBC, trying to talk some sense into these people. Good luck. Congressman, 
there's a lot of misinformation on uh, going around as well, but uh, Secretary Blinken described horrendous uh, photos and video that were shown to him by the Prime Minister in his office today um, of babies with, riddled with bullet holes and, you know, people burned, a soldier beheaded. Um, I know the IDF and others in the Israeli government have talked about a beheaded infants. We haven't seen evidence of that, but that has been what they have said. I know the president repeated that, just saying we're, we're trying to confirm as well as we can in the fog of war what really happened. It's horrendous enough as it is. I don't want to quarrel with that. And I know that there's a lot of information not getting to the people of Gaza because uh, they have been under Hamas rule now for some 30 years. So that is clearly true. But just to point out that the U.S. is at least urging Israel to try to minimize the civilian casualties, which are causing, uh, you know, criticism from the Secretary General of the U.N. There's going to be pressure around the world because this ground invasion, as you know, is going to be, is going to have horrendous look, impacts. Look, a Andrea, of course, anytime uh, we are in a situation where there is a war, uh, or a military response, this is, this of course, everybody wants to minimize uh, civilian Long. casualties. You would hope there are none. Uh, but the realities of war, obviously, are uh, that it's inevitable, unfortunately. Uh, and so you certainly try to minimize that. But I think, uh, and to be clear, um, regardless of whether or not uh, you want to say uh, there's no evidence of beheadings, you're talking about innocent babies, innocent children being slaughtered for one purpose, because they're Jewish. Uh, this is the worst massacre of Jewish people since the Holocaust. And I think we need to be very clear about this, uh, why this is happening uh, and uh, what the response should be. It cannot happen. It cannot happen. You know, he, he's and absolutely not... right, and, and you know she tries to kind of back off it, but it's the same kind of thing that happened the other day. We had Jonathan Greenblatt, who's the president of ADL, the American Defamation League, go on MSNBC and look straight in the camera and say, wow, like, I love your network, he said. He loves our network. I love this show. I cannot believe what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing in terms of how the copy was written and what the anchor was saying is they were introducing him. In other words, none of these people actually want to call Hamas a terror group. Look at the New York Times. They're calling them gunmen, right? Well, actually, that's how it came out after the fact. Because in the beginning, the New York Times referred to Hamas as terrorists. But then somebody must have gotten to them. And then they changed it to gunmen. I mean, this is pretty, pretty awful. And again, I want to... I want to show you Jonathan Greenblatt because he had to say it. He had to say it right to these MSNBC. So while I am sad faces. and cope, trying to cope, I'll be honest, I am angry. I am angry with the world that allowed the dehumanization of Israelis and sanitized the terrorism of Hamas. I must say, I love this show and I love this network. But I've got to ask, who is writing the scripts? Hamas? The people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. It is a barbarian who rapes and brutalizes women, who tear, kills children in front of their parents, and then brings them over to Gaza, 
who literally, we've heard all these reports, and we know these aren't just reports. These were filmed gleefully by the barbarians who committed these grotesque crimes. They filmed, for example, an elderly woman in her home in one of these towns. They burned her alive in her house because she was too infirm to take out. And, you know, parading women, bleeding from the crotch because they were raped throughout Gaza while people hoot and holler and cheer. So look, you know, when we say, oh, this was an escalation, it was bound to happen, I am sorry. This was a massacre that was pre-planned. This was not destined to happen. It is not normal. He is so right. He's so right. And this is what we need to remember, because as I said, it's going to get more challenging for Israel right now. Because Israel's on offense. You, you don't mess with Israel. I, I mean, they, they got caught off guard on this one. Total failure of intelligence, both on their side and, and on our side, too. And we're going to ask a lot of questions about that, and we will, believe me. But you know what? They've got to do what they've got to do right now. And that means they've got to root out Hamas. They got to get rid of Hamas. And yet, there are people that don't even want them to do that. (laughs) Again, on MSNBC. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me share with you this woman who is an American Palestine advocate who seems to think that Hamas is just another political party. Forget about what they're doing to women, children, elderly people, and everyone else. Forget about that. No, no, they're a political party that you're supposed to deal with. This is pathetic, but watch it. You need, you need to know where they're going to take this. And you need to know when those Harvard kids keep saying, oh, we got to support Palestine. And Rashida Tlaib keeps hanging her flag out there and tells you this is where we need to be. It is not. About Hamas, do you, do, is Hamas a, a government that is functional and should should remain in Gaza? Do you think that there's a coexistence between the Israelis and the clear. Palestinians want- with Hamas? I absolutely believe in coexistence. There is only one future. We either all survive together in mutual uh, existence or we all die together in this mutual destruction. There is no way forward. We have all got to exist together. What is the U.S. and Israeli plan right now? What do they plan on doing? Invading all of Gaza? and decimating it how do you get rid of a of a fight for freedom this is a freedom struggle it's not just encapsulated in one political party like hamas it is encapsulated across the palestinian diaspora across all palestinian political parties you cannot extinguish a struggle for freedom the demand is an end of the occupation for 56 years now, a demand of lifting of the siege, 16 years now, and a demand of the end of 75 years of settler colonial removal and replacement. There is a political solution. Human rights organizations have mapped out a human rights path, which includes sanctions on Israel because of its apartheid policies, weapons sanctions that they cannot be using indiscriminately against Palestinians. There is a political pathway forward. We have been urging all to follow it. 
adequate. We have to allow for spaces of hope with dignity for all people. This cannot be ended militarily. There are many people um, in Israel, there are many people uh, in, in the Palestinian territories, West Bank and Gaza, who are, are all for that, who want that. Um, and we've talked about the, the, the current Israeli makeup of the government and the inability uh, of forging a path forward with Palestinians. We've done extensive reporting on that uh, on this show for the past week. Um, but I have to ask you again, Wonderful. What, Thank about, you. what about Hamas? What do you do with Hamas? Hamas was established in 1987 in the midst of the first of what's known as the first Palestinian Intifada. They were established as an opposition to the Palestinian uh, to Fatah and wanted to wage a liberation struggle. From the moment that the Oslo peace process was established, Israel began to besiege the Palestinians in Gaza by creating a perimeter around them. Hamas is a political party. We see them making political decisions as well. They've been portrayed as fanatical terrorists who are out there for primordial lust and, and violence and hate. And yet, Hamas is a political party that has switched its allegiances. We saw them become a governing party and not just a resistance movement following the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. We saw them leaving Syria and moving to Qatar in the midst of the Syrian uprising. They are eligible to be part of a Palestinian unity government, which the Israel and, and the United States have thwarted. Okay, we I, have I'm sorry, to I gotta just cut her off. I'm sorry, lady. You know what? Hamas is murdering children, raping women, killing elderly, burning people alive, dragging them through the streets. No, no, no. Hamas has lost all chance. Finito, as they'd say in Italian, okay? All chance at anything. It's over. Game over. Game over. Hamas will never ever have an opportunity at anything. You know why? They are a terror organization. We've always known they were a terror organization, but now we know they're a terror organization akin to the likes of ISIS. And Iran prompted this. You know, I'm, I'm not always a big Bolton fan, right? Because I, I, Bolton and I have gotten into it in the past. <laughs> I, I never understood quite why he was always willing to use force. I, I'm, I'm one that wants to use money, which is why I sanction, 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 sanction. If it were me, I'd be sanctioning these guys. There's no chance in H-E-L-L they'd have their hands on that $6 billion dollars. Freeze it, for goodness sakes. Treasury Department, Tony Blinken, do that. But anyway, Bolton's right on this one. You know what? Iran used the Palestinians. They used these terrorists because they didn't want that Abraham Accord. They felt left out. And this was the upshot of it. And they want, we're going to talk about that. They want, they want a kind of world war. So we have to be cautious as well. Israel has to be cautious. Here we go. John Bolton on CNN this morning. What happened over the weekend was an Iranian attack on Israel using Hamas as a surrogate. No question. The, uh, none, whatever. The only real question now is whether Hezbollah will join in at an appropriate time. Iran has supplied enormous quantities of weapons, material, financing, training to both Hamas and Hezbollah for decades. Uh, really, they formed Hezbollah in the early 1980s. Uh, Hamas had a different origin. It's Sunni, not Shia. But in the last 10 years, they have been largely a surrogate for Iran. And many leading Hamas officials are embedded with Hezbollah in Lebanon and Turkey. Iran did not provide all that material, billions of dollars worth over the years, 
so that Hamas or Hezbollah could deploy it when they saw fit. They gave them those weapons so that they would be deployed when Iran saw fit. And let's not forget, this attack occurred on the 50th anniversary of yes. the Yom Kippur War. This is not accidental. But I just want to be clear, that is uh, in opposition to what multiple sources tell CNN, the U.S. intelligence is. I'm just... Interesting, right, what he said? In other words, this was happening on the 50-year anniversary. And somehow they felt like they could do it, despite having gotten $6 billion, courtesy of Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken. I mean, we've got ourselves in a bad situation, for sure. It looked like it was going in the right way. Abraham Accord looked like we might actually have gotten some traction there, and now it's all being blown apart. And so now at this point in time, we risk a situation where Saudi Arabia gets mad at Israel, where uh, Jordan, Egypt, everybody gets mad at Israel because they're going to have a major refugee crisis. Where do all these people go? Because if Israel's bombing Hamas, and you know that these terrorists, they hide in hospitals, they hide in schools, they've taken hostages, American as well, as Israeli, and they have those hostages with them, which means the hostages will sadly die as well. I mean, this is, this is what they do, okay? So just a little insight into the barbaric mindset of these terrorists. And so consequently, as these bombings go down and it's going to get worse and worse, and now Israel's talking about going in with the ground operations, they try and root out all these terrorists. You want to try and save the people, but honestly, like, we've got to be realistic here. This is a war, right? It's a war. So what happens to all the people that want to leave? Well, Egypt just said, we're not taking them. We, we're trying to encourage them to stay where they are. We don't want them. So if Egypt's not taking them, if Jordan's not taking them, if Saudi Arabia's not taking them, uh, who, who's taking them? Not us. Not us. Not us. That's that's for sure. I mean, look at what happened when when there was talk of taking some Syrians. Remember that one? I mean, even I remember the, the Democrat senator from New Hampshire, a Democrat was like, yep, nope, they're not coming here. So that's not an easy sell to any country anywhere. And by the way, it shouldn't be, according to the brilliant Henry Kissinger, perhaps our most successful Secretary of State, he's, he's, he's quite up there in age right now, so you have to listen closely here. He did an interview, and he said one of the biggest mistakes Germany ever made was taking in all of these people, the Syrians, the Muslims that came in, that didn't see eye to eye. Culturally, it was too big a challenge. Listen to Kissinger. It was a great mistake to let in so many people of totally different cultural and religious and concepts because it creates a pressure group inside each country that does that. So he said basically it creates a pressure group within each country. I remember doing so much reporting on Germany as as some of these these people had come in from from Syria and, and other places, these quote unquote refugees And it was such a challenge because, well, little things like Germany has a tradition of pools and everybody swims in the pools. Well, the the men didn't understand that the women would wear swimsuits in the pools. 
And so it became a big problem, and they had a lot of violence towards the women. Because these men from their, they, they felt like it was free game, right? And, and, and these women were attacked. And so instead of actually addressing that issue, what did Germany do? It said, oh, we're going to have separate swimming hours. So women can swim at this hour and, and men can swim at that hour. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So now you're going to let their culture dictate your culture? That's not right. But again, if you listen to all these activists that support the Palestinians and the BLM folks like Rashida Tlaib, what they would say is it's all about preserving your culture, right? And you're the victim, so your culture should definitely survive over those oppressors. And I would just say this, look, you go to Germany, you're German now. Learn to speak German and learn the culture. You can have your thing too. That's what we do in America, right? Or we used to. We used to be that so-called melting pot. Now we're just that really divided salad bowl. I mean, we're not even in a bowl, frankly. We're so divided. And people use this division for political purposes. They use this division to hate on others And this is what you're seeing, a kind of bullying, where now the trans community can say, oh, well, if you don't fully accept us, if you don't agree that, you know, somebody who was born as a biological male and was raised as a biological male for the majority of their life ought to be able to swim in the same pool against a biologically born female and win the blue ribbon against her and beat every single record, well, then you're somehow transphobic. You're the bad guy. And then they bully. They bully the so-called bad guy that might just be, or girl, just trying to defend women. Notice how women keep getting shortchanged in all of this. Anyway, there's a, there's, a, there's a crossover there that I think we need to be extremely aware of and extremely sensitive to, and Kissinger's right. Like, what's going to need to happen is somebody in the Middle East is going to have to take the Palestinian refugees in. I think it ought to be Iran under the circumstances. What do you think? I'm curious to see. I'm looking at some of your comments right now. Again, as I said, I've just been devastated by it all. I'm, I'm so happy to have paired up with a charity that's on the ground, 1-800-248-8881. That is the number. This is the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, and they have an emergency fund there on the ground. They are going out and they are helping some of these communities that have been just so, so, so badly hit. All of your money, every dollar goes to help these victims. So consider it today. I'm going to put the link, if you're watching, again in this chat, and the link will be there in the show notes. It's important, guys, because you know what? They need our help. They need our help really, really badly. Rick, thank you for the kind comments. It's really good to see so many of you here. Um, It's really just a tragic situation, a tragic situation that's going to continue to get worse. Yeah, I wish we had somebody smarter in the White House. I wish we had somebody smarter at state that could really deal with this. Hopefully some people are not just fully aligned with the likes of Iran. If they have been, then maybe they've figured out that wasn't such a good alliance to have, right, under the circumstances. And the danger, the threat, of course, if you think this one through, is everybody's upset. By the way, Hezbollah is getting involved now, too. In fact, they were firing off rockets. They were firing off rockets into Israel 
just a couple of days ago. So Hezbollah is trying to do its thing, again, supported by Iran. Don't forget. I mean, you really want Iran to have a nuclear weapon, for goodness sakes? It's critical that Iran feel squeezed. It's critical that Iran be disenfranchised. It's critical that Iran get rid of its mullahs and religious extremists. But most importantly, right now, here in this present moment in time, it is critical that Israel finish the job with Hamas. Hamas is done, just like ISIS. We got rid of the caliphate. We got rid of ISIS. Of course, we went over to Afghanistan, left a whole bunch of equipment there, which, according to the IDF, they believe is the equipment that's being used by the Palestinians, by Hamas. Because, well, it was there. It was there. It was there for the taking, right? Because uh, Blinken and Biden were in such a rush to get out of there. What a stupid, 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 unbelievable move. Trump knew it. Did he not? Here he is. I, I have played this in the past, but I want you to see it again. Keep in mind, this was like a year and a half ago, and so he's laughing, he's at an event, but he's like, basically, I knew that Millie was an effing idiot because he was willing to leave all that really expensive, really good quality equipment there in Afghanistan because it was cheaper than flying it out. I'm guessing that Millie was under tremendous pressure from Blinken and Biden, who had this idea that they had to get out before the 20th anniversary of Afghanistan, and they didn't really think through, you know, like, it's a game of chess, I'm sorry. And they're playing checkers. Anyway, here's Trump. You got a $50 million airplane. You got a $29 million gorgeous helicopter. We had every type of helicopter. Many of them brand new, literally out of the box. $50 million planes. You mean you think it's cheaper to leave it there so they can have it than it is to fill it up with a half a tank of gas and fly it into Pakistan or fly it back to our country? You think... Yes, sir. I think it's cheaper, sir. That's when I realized he was a <laughs> idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that was that was probably not the best decision in retrospect, right? But Trump got it right back then. I, I think right now is going to prove to be a very trying time, a very difficult time. Hamas is threatening more problems, calling for some international day of jihad. I mean, these guys are just the worst of the worst. And I think what's critical is that we just remember that, right? That you don't get sucked in by the likes of MSNBC and these total lefties that somehow think it's Israel's fault, just like they think it's America's fault that blacks are not succeeding as much as they ought to. It's amazing. I was reading a piece in the Wall Street Journal, actually, the other day that talked about success among black families in America. And actually, they were doing great right up until... What do you know, Lyndon Johnson, 1960s, it was like a whole bomb went off in the community because they said, if you got a man in the house, you can't get this check from Uncle Sam. And what they did was they destroyed the family. And by destroying the family, you destroyed the community. By destroying the community, you made it so much harder for any of these young people, black Americans, to succeed and to get ahead and to get the education, et cetera, that they need in order to really have a fighting chance. You look at immigrant groups that come here today 
And I'll tell you, it has nothing, again, to do with the color of anybody's skin. America is not, I mean, I know there's pockets of racism, don't get me wrong, um, it, you know, and that exists anywhere. But for the most part, no, we're not a racist country. For goodness sakes, we lacked, elected a, a black American as president twice. That would be Barack Obama, who somehow really liked the Iranians. Anyway, look, we are not that kind of country. It's just not who we are. We're too much of a meritocracy. We're too capitalist. We're too money-oriented, right? We want to succeed. And so you look at populations that come here, one of the most successful, probably the most successful group of immigrants that comes to the United States, they're from Nigeria. Nigeria, okay? So they, they have a different skin color, but they succeed in the U.S., what about kids from India that are succeeding? What about Asian students that are succeeding? All minorities, quote unquote. But apparently, unless you are, uh, well, from the city of Baltimore, right, you don't count. Really, you don't count. I mean, think about what the Supreme Court just had to decide. They had to end racism because Harvard was racist against Asian students. Oh, we get too many of those. Asian students are succeeding. And don't forget what happened in World War II where so many of them were put in, in camps. So, so they've had challenges too. But the difference is, is right now you have a political system and a kind of thought mentality and a whole bunch of nonprofits that aren't really nonprofits. Think about Black Lives Matter and the woman who ran it with her multiple properties and her fancy spa weekends and everybody in her family was somehow on staff getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not really nonprofits. Anyway, you have these things that are, that are put up on this pedestal that are supposedly doing all this to ensure equality. They're not doing a darn thing. Not one thing to ensure equality. Instead, they're trying to convince people that you're being kept down, you're being kept down. The only way that things are going to change is if somebody gives you a handout. That's why California is talking about $5 million in reparations right now. Something that Gavin Newsom actually voted for. For every American that can prove that they were actually related to a slave. The census, they now want to ask on the census, are you related to a slave? Because this is all about reparations here in the U.S. Well, is, is that what it is sort of over there in, in, in Israel? I mean, again, again, we're being sensitive to things because it's very, very different. And the horrors is just unlike anything one could ever imagine. But that, that's, uh, that's something that you got to consider because this tribalism stuff is real. When, when they think they can attack you because... Maybe you want to have a little bit more say in your child's education. Suddenly, you're the problem. When Hillary Clinton thinks that anybody who supported Trump needs to be deprogrammed on behalf of the country, when they believe that, that parents showing up at the Board of Education school board meetings are the terrorists or that Catholics attending mass in Latin are the problem. And yet we got a wide open border and we clearly got a whole lot of hate out there as we just saw and are continuing to see there in Israel. Well, uh, it really makes me question what they're all thinking. Back to the Speaker of the House for a moment. I want to give you another update on that. So again, 217 votes. That is what is needed the thought was it was going to be Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise, however, is battling blood cancer. And there are a lot of people that question whether or not he can really 
do the job in light of his health situation. He also just has, you know, various enemies and some people say, oh, you know, he's part of the system, etc. I I wouldn't have necessarily said that. I, I mean, I think that the, the illness is a fair is a fair thing to, to be considering. But again, I, I think I've just been incredibly impressed by Jim Jordan and his willingness, his relentlessness to go out there and go after the issue that has gotten lost, shall we say, right, in the last week or so. And that would be none other than Joe Biden. Joe Biden, who, uh, well, thinks his son is just great. He loves his son so much. And his son couldn't possibly have ever done anything wrong. No, no, not, not Hunter, despite the fact that he got discharged from the military for drugs. And, well, today we learned they're dropping that gun charge against Hunter Biden. Has a little something to do with the new indictment coming forward. So it's kind of like a switcheroo on the paperwork. I just got to say, I really hope that they are thoughtful in how they go after him in that I do question why it is he was getting money from the likes of China, Romania, Ukraine, all while his dad was vice president. Why was he selling the Biden brand? Was he like Senator Menendez is alleged to have been a foreign agent? I mean, it certainly seems that way, right? He's collecting money from all these places all over the world and then not even bothering to tell the IRS, leaving him some two plus million dollars in the hole which is, uh, well, you know, kind of a problem, especially when daddy is all about getting 80,000 new IRS agents and wants to make sure that all those millionaires are paying their fair share. Why don't you start at home? Why don't you start with your son? Anyway, Jim Jordan has really just been all out in front of this, uh, along with Comer, and they've really done, a, a, to me anyway, as I look at this, a good job at pulling in all those financial records and, and asking the right and appropriate questions at a time like this. So Jim Jordan might be the one who's out there front and center. Could he get it? I mean, there's, again, just a lot of infighting, and so that makes it more challenging. At this hour, as it stands, Steve Scalise does not have the number of votes. He has hit that so-called wall, if you would. So is it time for Plan B? What is next? And uh, the way forward seems not to be, Mr. Scalise, right now. Again, 217 votes needed. They did meet this afternoon. They met for almost three hours. The majority of members uh, were pretty frustrated, right, because they do want to get this done. And don't forget, what did it take, like 15 rounds? There were 14 rounds. And the 15th time they got McCarthy, so that's not going to work. Um, he does not want, Scalise does not want to take the fight to the floor. And I admire him for that. You know what? I really do, because that's what McCarthy did. And it was really unseemly. It was the first time that had ever happened. 15 rounds, that is. And so we don't want that again. He really seems to want to make sure that he's got that support before he comes forward. And so consequently, if he doesn't have it, you know, does this open the opportunity for Jim Jordan he fell short, Jordan did, on Wednesday, right, of getting the nomination. It was Scalise as opposed to Jordan. And Jim Jordan actually said, I'll support Scalise. But now that Scalise is not going to be the guy, could this open up the situation for Jordan? That's one idea. Other, you know, other people, as I said, Tom Emmer, Kevin Hearn are being talked about. But it, it seems like you're going to need somebody really strong, somebody really unafraid, unafraid of Biden and unafraid, by the way, of their constituents, because leadership matters. 
I, I want to get to some economic stuff because we saw, did you see the inflation coming out today? And wow, uh, inflation up again, better than 2%. That would be on wholesale prices. So we get a mess of a situation and yet everybody keeps wanting to spend money, money we do not have. And whoever's the next speaker is going to have to have a little tea party in them or her, right? Because they're going to have to say, wait a second, this isn't right. Like, why are we spending all of this money mortgaging our future effectively? We know China wants to take over our place as the number one economic power in the world. And listen, if you keep it up and you keep spending more than you earn, as we are currently doing, and there's no end in sight, then you will have these problems. So I think if you get someone like a Jim Jordan who can be a little tougher and be willing to say, okay, no, enough. I mean, let's face it, right? Kevin McCarthy allowed all that spending. He also, like, used to change his mind. It was like whichever way the wind blows. You know, first he was all over Trump on January 6th, and then, no, it wasn't Trump's fault. I mean, Kevin, what is it, right? I I mean... You know, I didn't love, I mean, I don't like any of this. I don't like us seeming like we don't have our act together. I like us to look really polished on the world stage, so I don't love seeing all this. It's kind of messy, but I think it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to get the right person in the gig, and you need somebody with a core, somebody who's really strong and not afraid to just fight them all off. This is why Donald Trump was successful in 2016. This is why, by the way, a lot of countries around the world were freaking terrified of him. I mean, they were terrified of Trump. They're like, what is he going to do, right? He kind of kept them off kilter. And so if Jim Jordan can be a little bit edgier than what we saw in in McCarthy, and and that would not be hard to do, (laughs) to be a little edgier than McCarthy, then I think that might help kind of shore things up. You got got to get someone who can corral all these people. And it it doesn't, you know... Scalise, could he have done it? I don't know. I think he still had his issues. Maybe maybe Jim Jordan can do it. Maybe we'll see Donald Trump come out. He actually is supporting Jim Jordan, so maybe he'll come to the floor and, and give a nice speech, and, and maybe Jim Jordan will get that 217. But it would be nice if this happened sooner rather than later, would it not? You heard me mention wholesale prices. I mean, guys, this is wild. It's like this inflation just won't go away. I I like the title on Bloomberg. They're saying inflation is sticking around. U.S. consumer prices, according to Bloomberg, advanced for a second month, likely reinforcing the Federal Reserve's stated intent to keep interest rates high to further slow inflation. You know, they're talking about one more rate hike. That's not going to be good for the economy. Let me just be very clear. Anyway, we got all this inflation. Doesn't seem to want to go away. I warned you of this ages ago. Our wonderful sponsor on this program is LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can go there if you're interested in buying gold because you're worried about inflation or you just want to diversify your portfolio. Or maybe you're just worried about the world in general right now. Anyway, go check them out, LegacyPMInvestments.com. Charles Thorngren, he's often in the chat. He's often on the show. He's the CEO of the company. And I'd also encourage you to call them because they can walk you through the whole thing. one 866 589 Again, 1-866-589-0560. So they're going to say over there in the Biden administration, oh, inflation's coming down. It's coming down. It's not as bad, right? Like, look at Social Security increases. It's just going to be, what, 3.5% that you're going to get this year as opposed to, like, 9%? Last year, oh, it's going down. But no, no, it's not really because you see the increase last year was that much. And now we're up again this year. You see it compounds, right? we're, We're still up. We're not seeing any deflation. Like basically 
prices keep going up. And interestingly, wages, of course, are not keeping pace. So if wages are not going up as much as, well, the price of everything is going up, and simultaneously you're in an environment where the interest rates are so much higher, hey, suddenly the 10-year yield is looking kind of attractive, right? Treasury bonds. Suddenly, now you're maybe not going to buy that new house or put that new investment into your company because capital becomes more expensive and therefore has a process of dragging down this economy. So that's what that's about. So again, I get back to why do we need somebody who's really strong as Speaker of the House so we get these people to stop spending so much money so foolishly on things that we do not need. Going out to some of your questions and comments, Rick Smith says, Biden says there is no inflation. Yeah, another one of those great Biden lies, right? Bidenomics, it's working, it's working, it's working. I'm like, yeah, you guys keep telling yourselves that. (laughs) Maybe one day it will come true. Good luck. Think about what he did. By the way, think about what McCarthy allowed him to do with those multiple rounds of spending. I mean, the first thing he did, he got into office, he issued a third stimulus check. You know, and then we got multiple rounds of stimulus, including the IRA Inflation Reductionary Act, which did nothing to reduce inflation and instead just increased it ever the more. I mean, at one point we were up double digits, we saw, on wholesale prices, what producers pay for goods. Whether or not that transcends to actual consumer prices, I can tell you, it often does. It always does. We didn't get double digits, but we were upwards of 9% there on consumer prices. And so whenever you see producer prices going up, well, guess what? They have to pass those costs along. What do you think is happening right now to oil prices, for goodness sakes? I mean, that's an easy one to foresee. And yet Joe doesn't, doesn't want to drill here in the U.S. No way, Jose. He has no interest in that. By the way, there was a big, big merger. ExxonMobil buying a, 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 another major energy company that does actually drill here in the basin region of the United States. And so maybe they'll be able to squeeze a little bit more out thanks to some hopefully technological synergies, et cetera. But, you know, it's all sort of despite the administration, despite the administration, which has absolutely no policy when it comes to energy. So we say, oh, they want they want green energy. They want they want everything. They want green energy. And yet we're looking at wars. We're looking at all kinds of major destruction and they keep going on about green energy. I'm sorry, but these people have their heads in the clouds. That's why, that's why Iran has $6 billion right now because they can't get their heads out of there. You know what's anyway, it, it's great to see you all. I, I, I appreciate you. I see, uh, well, Jim Scott, you're in Jim Jordan's corner there. Um, he, he, oh, no, needs to hold useless hearings that go nowhere he can't. He can't. Oh, you don't like him. Forgive me. I miss, you know, it's hard to like read and talk at the exact same time. Biggest failure of this country, Vic says, is Biden. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to see how quickly, how quickly we've gone down. I knew it would happen economically. I didn't know it would happen this quickly on the international front. And of course, the, the elephant in the room is Taiwan and China. So what happens on that front? Look, we, we've, we've got a situation, as they say, and, and I hope that we're able to find our way out of this. It's why this election in 2024 is going to be so incredibly critical. If you have not subscribed, please do me that favor. There's a little button right there in red. Hit the subscribe button. Do me the favor of also 
hitting the bell. That way you know when I am live and I'm here live every day. David O'Brien, good to see you. I'm, I'm seeing so many familiar, like I've gotten to know all you guys and it's really wonderful. It's, it's a new way of communicating, an exciting way of communicating. So do me that favor of making sure that you've subscribed, making sure that you have hit the bell. And again, like, look, if you want to do something for Israel, I'm going to put that link in there one more time into our live chat. Do what you can. Look, any little bit counts. Here's the phone number as well. 1-800-248-8881. They need you. It's, it's unacceptable and it's tragic. And I worry it's going to get worse. We need smarter people here in D.C. Like immediately. Immediately. We're going to continue staying on this speaker issue. Let me know if, if, if you'd like, even in the, in the comments below, I know that we're talking on the live chat. Thank you. Thank you. Le- Leslie, that's so great of you. Leslie Kimball sings, Kim, Kimbrell saying that she, she gave today. That, that's so nice. It, it's, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm going to get like all like corny on y'all, but I remember my parents telling me when I was a little girl, how lucky we we are to have been born in this country and all the freedoms we have. And, and my mom was actually a, a journalist herself. She wrote for the Boston Globe and she used to talk about the freedom of the press and our first amendment and how wonderful all of that is and how we have it. And I got to tell you, like I, I grew up in a little bit of a naive bubble. It was totally a bubble for goodness sakes. They don't even have any taxes in New Hampshire, no income tax, no sales tax. Um, the property taxes are, are, are minuscule considering, but you know, they, uh, it was, it was a neat place to grow up, but I grew up thinking how lucky I was to be here. And I still feel that way. I feel that way every day. I I'm so, we are all so lucky to be in this great country and we can't let them take that from us. We are still and always must be a meritocracy. We must preserve our freedoms. We must preserve our speech. And when we have the chance to help somebody else out that needs it, it's what we do. We are a giving society. We are a great society. And I want that to continue forever. So thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to get all emotional on you guys, but I do kind of, you know, every time I I think about what's happening over there. It gets me kind of upset. But anyway, thank you, Leslie, for, for your contribution and for, for any of, of what you guys were able to do. It means a lot to them and, and to me because it, it makes me feel like we're, we're part of something here together, right? We're, we're, we're doing our part to hopefully make sure that our country is on the right trajectory and then when we can, sharing our generosity with others. So thank you for listening. Thank you for giving or considering giving, and we'll talk again tomorrow. Have a good evening.